Hello, and welcome to the Investing on the Go podcast. I'm Juliet Schooling Latter, and today I'm joined by James Douglas, manager of the Polar Capital Global Healthcare Trust. Hello, James. Good morning. How are you, Juliet? Yes, good, good. Thank you. Um, healthcare has, has been very much under the microscope this year with, uh, with the world focusing on a vaccine. Um, and now we've, we've, we've got several. Um, what are your thoughts on the rollout? Yeah, it's been an absolutely remarkable year in, in many respects, and I'm happy to share our thoughts, but I guess it's probably worth just reflecting a little bit on the journey. I mean, to, 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 to go from the discovery of the virus, uh, to go through the, you know, the mapping of the genetic material, producing the vaccine, running the trials and, and getting emergency approval within a year is really, really quite remarkable. Uh, and so, as you brightly point out, the next stage is one of rollout. Um, I think for us, uh, we're optimistic. Um, and the reason I use that word is that you may well have read in the press that the, the, the vaccines that are available now are using very novel technology. Uh, and that technology means that they have to be stored at what they call super chilled temperatures. So uh, the Pfizer vaccine, for example, needs to be stored at around minus 70. Uh, and the Moderna vaccine needs to be stored at around minus 20 degrees centigrade. So that is a logistical challenge, but we're optimistic because these companies have experience. They ran the clinical trials. They ran those clinical trials in a wide range of uh, facilities. And so I think that as we move through 2021, uh, I'm optimistic that uh, the rollout will be effective. So will we all be vaccinated by, by the end of 2021? I think that's probably optimistic. Um, if you look at what... Uh, the companies have said, uh, I think Moderna has said that they can manufacture up to a billion doses, between 500 million and a billion. Uh, Pfizer has said up to 1.3. Uh, so obviously, if you add that together, that's 2.3. But don't forget, they both require two doses. And so you have to halve that when it comes to calculating how many people can potentially be vaccinated by those vaccines. The very last point I would make on this subject is don't forget there are other vaccines hopefully coming behind them using more traditional technologies. So the journey has started. It's been incredibly impressive. Uh, but I do think there's going to be more developments as we move through 2021. Good. And, and the, the sector itself um, performed very well in the initial months of the, of the pandemic, but it's, it's sort of rather tailed off in recent months. Um, why, why is that? Well, I think the first thing to say is we, we think the fundamentals of the sector are, are very strong, but I think there was two things that happened. Firstly, as we were leading into the US elections, there was a concern uh, amongst the investor base that there would be a blue wave. And by blue wave, I'm essentially referring to a Democrat in the White House, but also a Democratic majority within Congress. Uh, and that created some concerns that you might get quite far reaching healthcare reform in areas like um, insurance and drug pricing. And so you did see a little bit of pressure, particularly on the pharmaceutical stocks. And um, obviously then we got through the election and, and actually prima facie it's quite positive. Um, and I'll explain later, but essentially if you have a Democrat in the White House, but a divided Congress, that's gonna make it quite difficult to get any uh, draconian measures through. And so that was a positive, but then the next thing that happened was we had the positive vaccine data. Uh, and that really, really um, was a, a, a catalyst for the market to think about asset allocation. And what you found is that during that period, um, there was more interest in more value cyclical type investments like oil and gas, travel and leisure, uh, and maybe the banks as well. And so 
we, we, we sensed that actually there were other areas of the market during that period that were maybe more attractive. Uh, and so healthcare being a bit more defensive probably struggled a bit under that scenario. Right. So, so uh, uh, Joe Biden pre- presidency, um, that's not sort of negative for healthcare, for US healthcare? Well, just if one takes a step back, if you, if you look at history, then a, a Democratic uh, president tends to uh, raise a few more questions than maybe a Republican one. <clears throat> but the important thing really to focus on now that Joe Biden is in is, is what's happening within Congress and within the Senate. Because if if the, uh, the Republicans retain control of the Senate, uh, and we'll find out in early January, then it's going to be really, really difficult, we think, uh, for the administration to get any uh, new legislation through. So some of the more far-reaching proposals uh, that may have been evident six months ago will be probably quite difficult to get through. So if if we have a situation whereby Joe Biden is in the White House and uh, the Republicans have a majority in the Senate, then I think you'll essentially get legislative gridlock. Uh, and that means the status quo remains. And for us, that's a positive for healthcare. Good. And your portfolio, um, it's sort of invested generally in developed market companies. Um, do you not find opportunities in, in Asia or em- emerging market healthcare stocks? No, yeah, that's a super observation. And we think emerging markets are going to be a really important source of growth for healthcare. Not just governments investing in infrastructure in healthcare, but also, you know, we're seeing tangible evidence that they're changing the way they look at their regulatory processes and look at their reimbursement processes. However, we can access that growth through multinationals. So, for example, the pharmaceutical sector has quite high levels of exposure to areas like Asia, Pacific and and China. Life sciences and tools is another subsector that we can invest in that has exposure to those areas as is medtech, but to a slightly lesser degree. So we do think it's a super important uh, source of growth. We can just access it uh, in slightly different ways as opposed to maybe going direct. And what, what is your outlook for, for next year um, for the sector in general? And are there any, any sort of subsectors that you particularly like for 2021? Yeah, we're super excited about the medium term. Um, you know, we think there's going to be some terrific durable growth opportunities in healthcare. And why do I say that? We think we can identify some quite important themes uh, that we can invest in. And so what might they be? They may be things like generating efficiencies. A lot of healthcare systems globally have to become more efficient. Uh, And so can we find products and services that really are driving that efficiency, whether it be virtual interactions, whether it be robotics, whether it be shifting patients from a high cost setting like a hospital to a lower cost setting like the home. Uh, And so that's one of the themes that we're really interested in. Another one is obviously innovation. Um, I think COVID-19 has been a super example of how innovative, uh, particularly the biopharma industry has become. Uh, And so that's gonna be an important theme for us. Um, We also think that um, emerging markets, to your point, is going to be an important source of growth. Uh, And we can access that growth through a variety of subsectors, whether it be pharmaceuticals, biotechnology, life sciences and tools, medical devices, and also the clinical research organizations. You know, these are the companies that will go to a funded biotech company and say, we will run the clinical studies for you. And that feeds 
kind of nicely into one of the other areas that we're interested in, that's one of outsourcing. Uh, we think that's a trend that will continue. And then finally, you know, one of the cornerstones of all public health systems is prevention. Uh, you know, diagnostics is going to be super important. I think COVID-19 has been a catalyst for some healthcare systems globally to invest in diagnostics. Uh, and we think they'll be pulled through into our areas as we move forward. And then ultimately, obviously, vaccines as well are super important. So they're kind of the underlying themes that we're really interested in. Outside of those key investment themes that you've just mentioned, I just wondered, is there anything else that you're thinking about? Yeah, actually, yeah, I think the one thing that I neglected to mention was was M&A. I mean, healthcare is highly fragmented. Um, More mature companies have very strong balance sheets. So I think that augmenting internal assets with external assets uh, and looking at external sources of growth will be a theme that will likely be, you know, continuous and will continue into the medium term. So I'd probably highlight that as one of the things I, I probably neglected to mention. Uh, and the luxury, if that's the right word to use, we have and the opportunity we have is that healthcare is incredibly diverse. So it doesn't really matter what the regulatory, the political and the economic climate is right. We hope and we believe that we can find opportunities um, regardless of those cycles uh, across the continuum. That's great. James, thank you so much for your time today. You're very welcome. Thank you very much. If you'd like more information about Polar Capital Global Healthcare Trust, please visit fundcaliber.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast. Please note that these are unprecedented times and markets can react very quickly to news. The views expressed are at the time of recording and could change. And remember, we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these stocks at the time of listening.